Welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast for entrepreneurs, where it's all about growing yourself and your business. Before we begin, I want to remind you about our ad-free option. Go to It's a Good Life on the Apple Podcast app. You'll see a banner under the logo to remove ads and unlock early access to episodes. It's just five bucks a month, and there's even a free trial. Either way, continue listening to It's a Good Life, and here's our man, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. I am very excited for you folks today. I've been a fan of our guest, Julian Treasure, for a long time. He is a sound and communications expert. He's an award-winning author. He's done a TED Talk five times, uh, I believe, over 130 or 135 million views, one of the most watched uh, TED Talks of all time. His vision is for a world that listens consciously and expresses itself beautifully. And I'm thrilled to bring Julian on the show to talk about how to be heard, which is the title of his book that I love, and I'm 99% of the way through. So, Julian, we're delighted to have you. Thanks for joining us. I know it's a little late in the Orkney Islands off of Scotland, where you're joining us from, but thanks for coming on the show today. It's a great pleasure, Brian. Really nice to meet you. And uh, yes, slightly late, but very snowy up here right now. So we're having a little bit of Orkney weather late in the year. Right. So we're coming from San Diego to the Orkney Islands. You know, you got to love technology, right? It's fantastic. (laughs) Yes. You burst onto the scene with the TED Talk. Why has it hit such a hot button, do you think? Why do you think it's resonated and been an explosive thing? That's a great question. I think there are a lot of people out there who feel frustrated that they're not listened to. And so that's a very common thing I've dealt with in, in my coaching career, in, in giving um, you know seminars and things like workshops. People say, nobody listens to, I can't make myself heard. You know, it, There's this frustration. And of course, this is all because we do not teach speaking or listening in schools. We assume these things are capabilities. They're skills, not capabilities. You know, we teach, it's a scandal if a child leaves school unable to read or write, but millions of children leave school every year having never been taught how to listen or how to speak. And my proposition really, as you know from the book, is that those two things are intimately related. It's a circular relationship. How I listen affects how you speak, how you listen affects how I speak. And it goes around and around. It's organic and it's dynamic and it's happening all the time. So I think, you know, the first thing is to learn how to listen. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we have to learn how to use this amazing instrument. And those two things are intimately related. And by the way, interestingly, Brian, my TED Talk on listening has been seen by about one fifth as many people as my TED Talk on speaking. And I'm very passionate about this because I think listening is the foundation. Of course. Listening is the foundation. You know, if you want to be a great speaker. I've heard you describe it as like an apostle for listening. Like that is actually your passion. But, you know, but sometimes you got to give people what they want before providing what they need. And I think listening to me as a speaker, when I really know my audience, when I really understand my audience, it gives much more gravitas to what I say and impact to what I say. If I really know what their need is. So you have to listen first, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. It's not all about you. When you stand on that stage, so many people make this fundamental mistake of it's, it's about me. And they're seeking some sort of affirmation or some sort of feedback from the audience. No, no, no. It's about the gift you're giving. And you always speak into this 
listening. And once you understand that it's all about listening, then you can hit the bullseye because the listening is different. It's a different audience at nine in the morning to just after lunch, where I'm sure you've done plenty of graveyard slots yep. like I have. You know, oh, he's a good speaker. He can cope <laughs> with that. <laughs> so, yep, let's give him the worst spot. Exactly. So it's it's a different audience and, and you need to speak into the listening. So if you get the graveyard slot, it needs to the energy needs to be amped up a fair bit and, you know, maybe shock tactics or surprise or humor or something to engage them, wake them up and get them with you. Uh, also, every audience is different because every human being has got a unique listening. And that's, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is assuming everybody listens like I do because they don't. I have a quote here. George Bernard Shaw says, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place, <laughs> right? And, that's a great you one. know, you really focus on how to be heard. Yeah. Why do so many people listen but not hear? Well, first of all, because people assume it's a capability, so there's no work involved. And uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen listening to this, I have to disappraise you of that. Uh, listening is work. Listening is effort. It's a skill that you can master and practice and become a master of. And there's huge reasons to do that, because how well you listen affects all your outcomes in life, your happiness, effectiveness, your well-being. So people who listen have a huge advantage over people who don't generally. And uh, so it's really worth establishing that skill in yourself and, and recognize that you've never had it trained. You've never had anybody tell you it's a skill before, probably. Uh, so, yes, there are different types of listening. I mean, there's the outer listening, which we are talking about now, which is listening to the sound around us. And one can do that consciously or unconsciously. And when you're consciously listening, you're making meaning from the sound around you. And you do that by selecting certain things to pay attention to. You don't, you hear everything, but you don't pay attention to all of it. Um, those things that you pay attention to, you then make them mean something. You're testing them all the time. It's, it's immediately, is it danger? Because hearing is our primary warning sense. So it goes very deep, very fast, faster than you can process vision. You process the sound. If it's a sudden sound or a twig snaps behind you, you know, you will spin, spin round. It's absolutely still part of our genetic code. Um, you know, it's, sound is the primary warning sense of every vertebrate species on this planet. And there are quite a lot of vertebrates with no eyes, but none with no ears for that reason. So that's the first thing. And then you're testing it against your huge database of, have I heard something like this before? Is it a voice I know, a sound I know? What does it mean? So that is going on all the time. And if you're doing that consciously, then it's a much more interesting world than if you're ignoring all of that or doing it unconsciously. Because some of the assumptions will be wrong and you may you know, not necessarily uh, have a good outcome if you're making wrong assumptions about what you're hearing and listening to. So it's making meaning from sound. We listen through filters. Yours are different from mine. You have a Dublin set of filters. I was born and brought up in London. And, you know, those cultures are different. So we will have different, slightly different listening, same language, different tones and uh, different vocabularies very often as well. And of course, then there are the values, attitudes, beliefs that you pick up along the way from your parents, role models, friends, teachers, whoever it might be. You've picked some up and put some down. So have I. They won't be identical. 
Uh, so we're listening through these filters all the time, whether there's that little voice in your head going, ah, oh, that is crap, I don't agree with that, because I've got values, attitudes and beliefs there, filtering. And then in any given situation, you know, there might be emotion going on. I mean, how do you listen when you're upset? Not well. And by the way, the best way to defuse somebody who's upset, listen to them. Repeat back what they say. I hear what you're saying. You're saying that you're really upset because of this. And, you know, the upset will gradually evaporate as they feel heard. Very important. Uh, and, you know, you might have intentions, expectations about what's going on and what's going to happen. Assumptions about what people are thinking. That's a big one. We all do that. So all these things are cooking away in this big pot and creating this set of filters that we listen to. It's like a little slit in a bunker, actually. And the great thing is, once you become conscious of this, you can exit the bunker through the back door. And my goodness, there are other places I can listen from, other ways. And you can start asking the question, where's the best place for me to listen from in this conversation, which may not be your normal and you get to be all things to all people in that regard, right? One of the things that was in the TED Talk, that your last TED Talk, was you had the seven deadly sins. And I will admit to the fact of that I don't practice all seven, but I practice more than half of them. And <laughs> I was like, wow. And you were basically saying, these are the things that inhibit you from really connecting and really communicating. It diffuses your ability to impact. And it was gossip, judging negativity, complaining, excuses, lying, and dogmatism. Maybe you could speak to that for a second, because I just feel like, you know, first of all, I think it was very courageous for you to communicate that. And you deliver it in a beautiful style. It's a loving, supportive, helpful style, but it's also, hey, here's the seven deadly pieces. I think your style of delivering difficult things is exceptional, but it really allows people to listen and take things on board and do a little self-examination. Oops. Yeah, I could be guilty of that. Yeah, I, um, I can do that. I can drift into that. And if that's undermining your ability to communicate, that's undermining your ability to be able to articulate and connect with somebody, it's a big thing. Maybe you could just speak to that a little bit. I, I think it's fantastic. But why does gossip and judging and negativity, maybe each one of those? Well, the thing is about these, they're not evil. They're not, you know, I, I half jokingly call them the seven deadly sins. And I, I think I did say in the TED Talk, you know, that I'm not saying you should ban these things from your life and you're a bad person if you do them. What they do is they make you harder to listen to. They're like holes in the bucket of the power of your speaking. They leak power. So, uh, yes, I mean, particularly if I work from the back, actually, Brian, if you don't mind, because uh, I'm very exercised at the moment by dogmatism. And uh, that comes from this tendency that we all have to be right. We want to be right. And, you know, Harville Hendricks, the American counselor, said uh, this great quote. He said, you can either be right or be in a relationship. And I think, you know, there's so much truth in that. <laughs> so, you know, we, being right is, is such a powerful, it's ego driven. And, and, you know, I'm a great fan of uh, lots of work around ego and, and uh, starting to become aware of the ego. Um, so, you know, Eckhart Tolle and people like that talk about this a great deal of the time. So it's about um, understanding that there is that drive and it tends to come out in dogmatism a great deal. Dogmatism is the confusion of opinions and facts. They're not the same thing. And if you conflate those two things, 
you know, uh, today is Tuesday. That's a fact as we record this. But, you know, there are so many things that are not facts. And, you know, that's rubbish. And uh, whatever we say in these conversations that we have with people, table thumping, uh, you know, it's strident shouting. And unfortunately, the Internet has made this so, so, so much worse, hasn't it? Because we go online to seek affirmation. There you are. I knew I was right. Thousands of people agree with me. Yeah, but there are millions who don't. And you're not talking to them. So I love that quote from actually Barack Obama said, I will listen to you, especially if we disagree. Now, there are not that many people doing that now. And one of the things, I don't know if I put this in the book. I mean, I I love the idea of treating people as opportunities to learn. If you think of that, you know, in in economics, you've got opportunities to do this, this and the other, and in marketing opportunities to see and so forth in advertising. Well, I think if you think of people as opportunities to learn, life becomes very interesting. It may be you're learning how not to do something. Very often it is. I mean, I have family members where every time I meet them, they teach me a great deal of how not to do things. And we all do, I'm sure. (laughs) But there are other people where they're teaching you how to do things or how to learn things or how, you know, new skills, new thoughts, new attitudes, perspectives, and so forth. And that is a wonderful way to listen to people. So that tends to shred the dogmatism a little bit. I, you know, I, I'm quite keen on hearing things I disagree with and test them, try them on. Maybe they're even right. Who knows? Whatever that means. Or there's something I can learn from them, right? I and mean, we live in this dogmatic world. It's bizarre. You know, the lost art of debate, discussion. Exactly. Rhetoric's gone. It's now just it, it's sound bites and and trashing people and trolling and all the rest of the stuff that goes on, which is very very sad. So I think there's you know if you unpack these seven deadly sins, actually any one of them, you can actually get quite deep into uh, the the behaviour and what's behind it, and it's worth doing a little inventory. You know, that's my gentle suggestion to everybody is is to go through, have a look at the TED Talk, if nothing else, and and just write them down and just ask yourself, how do these, these things play out in my life? Do I do them or do I have them done to me? Uh, so it's really worth it because if you can start to become conscious of them, have a little alarm bell ringing when you're doing them, I'm not saying never do them, but you know, if they become habitual, they certainly make you harder to listen to. Then with that alarm bell, you'll start, you'll start to become more and more powerful, credible and authoritative in your speaking. Well, I think, you know, you touch on two core issues. Ultimately, one is I don't feel heard. And then the other like this here is this makes you hard to listen to. Like this takes away your power. This takes this, the holes in the bucket, I think, is a great analogy. and. You know, if you find yourself just, like I say, being sloppy with a little gossip or slopping with a quick judgment that you verbalize or negativity or complaining, making an excuse, maybe not being totally upfront on, you know, or being dogmatic, it diffuses that power and it takes that energy away. And then on the flip side, and you love a good acronym, you have a number of them throughout your books, and I'm a big (laughs) acronym guy. The HAIL acronym, I think, is so powerful because it is such a solution to the seven deadly sins. And maybe you could just talk to that for a moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the acronyms, are because I have a terrible memory, so it's <laughs> the way I remember things uh, very much that well, way. Well, they work. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm always in awe when I see speakers uh, who can go onto a TED stage and just speak. You know, I was there in the room when Brian Stevenson did his thing and Alan de Botton, people like that, who just stand there, talk for 20 minutes with no notes whatsoever, but just an amazing brain. Well, hats off. <laughs> I can't do that. Let's cover hail. So it, it means to greet or acclaim enthusiastically, of course, in, in one sense. And uh, the H stands for honesty. So that is simply being clear and straight in what you say. I've been always been a passionate advocate of simple language, not using big words where smaller ones will do, not intentionally obfuscating, there's a big word, you know, confusing people. Uh, in order to appear clever or smarter than they are. And a lot of that's about being right and being superior and so forth. So, forth. so just, it's, it's about getting the ball over the net. That's what it's about. Get your concept over the net as clearly and quick and, and into the listening you're speaking into. So you're right, maybe somebody who's not very sophisticated, or it may be somebody who's massively sophisticated, in which case out come the big words, because that's the world you're in with them. So H, honesty, clear and straight. And obviously, you know, not telling porcupines, not uh, deceiving people, not dissembling. The A is authenticity. And that is simply about being yourself. You know, I've seen a lot of speakers uh, stand on stages, including the TED stage, uh, where they've clearly been heavily coached by somebody. Every gesture is rehearsed and nuanced. Uh, there was a, there was a phase in TED where it was um, necessary almost to cry at some point uh, in the TED talk. <laughs> you know, I, I remember seeing a banker talking about international this, that, and the other, and he said it reminds me of my father. And I thought, oh no, here we go. And he did, and it was it was like, please, that was not necessary. Uh, somebody coached him a, a bit of emotional impact here. You know, you really connect with them, open your heart, and so forth. Well, it's manipulation and, you know, manipulative stuff like that. If it's not you, if it's not real, if it's not being generated in the moment, don't do it, really. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with rehearsing your your real self. And, and I'm a big fan of rehearsing hugely. I mean, I think that first TED Talk, I must have done that about 25 times to my daughter, who was eight at the time, I think. Uh, and... Uh, you know, that's great because then you get to where you feel confident that you're not going to mess it up and you can jazz. That's what I love. And I'm sure you're the same, Ryan. You know, you go on stage. Yes, nerves. Nerves are really important. They energize you, but not fear. Not fear that I'm going to forget what I'm doing or mess it up because I practiced it and I really know what I'm doing. And now I can have fun you know i can be john coltrane with it i can do a solo here i can change that if i feel like it you know i can react to what the audience feel like on the day so um yeah that's uh, authenticity being yourself truly yourself freely yourself integrity being your word if you say it it happens if you're somebody who says things and doesn't follow them up then your words will just evaporate like puddles in the sun, I always say it's uh, it's it's a it's not an effective way to be. Whereas if people know that if I say this, that's going to happen, then you have power in your speaking. And then the L, my favourite one, 
is love. Not romantic love, but wishing people well, basically. And knowing that when you stand on a stage and talk to people, you're giving a gift and you're taking people on a journey from where they are at the beginning to where they are at the end, leading them by the hand as their guide, trusted guide. Uh, and they will love you for it because you've given them something. But it's not about getting the love. It's about giving the gift. So, right. Yeah, that's, you know, you know, you know, we, we're in the environment, you know, you have 5,000 people in a auditorium and you have this great experience and people come up, I just want to do what you do. I want to do what you do. But the truth is they want to get what they think you just received because they typically missed what you just gave. I always feel like I have to give a piece of myself. And until I give a piece of myself, I really haven't communicated. Now, if you're listening to this today, you might think I'm not, I don't want to be a public speaker. I don't have desire to do TED Talks and write books. But you need to communicate. We all need to communicate and build relationships. And whether you're talking to your team, whether you're talking to your customers, it's about communication. The book is called How to Be Heard. And or your, or your partner, Brian, as, as well. Or your partner. Yeah. It, right. It's just as true at home. Yes. You know, what's the biggest complaint in relationships? He or she never listens to me. So th- th- you're absolutely right, Brian. This is not about public speaking. It's about communication. And it's about forming relationships. Because when you're consciously listening and powerfully speaking, the result is always connection, understanding, and better relationships. Brilliant. It's wonderful. They say the best food is uh, when it's cooked with love. I always feel that comes through your presentations. I always feel it comes through your work. I really do recommend this book, and, and I really encourage folks to get their hands on it, How to Be Heard, Secrets for Powerful Speaking and Listening. I think the world would be a better place if everybody can do a little more listening. Julian, I, I have five questions I ask everybody who comes on the program. We never tell them what it is or what they're going to be, but it's, it really gives us a little insight into the person. And all we've had Matthew McConaughey or Magic Johnson or whoever we've had on, billionaires and zillionaires, it's always this wonderful mosaic we get. So I have a few questions for you as we finish up here today. Here's the first one. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, you know, the one I always remember is from my father. Um, a long, long time ago, he said to me, expectation is the mother of resentment. And from that moment onwards, I've tried very hard not to set expectations, but to go with the flow and accept, you know, what's happening. Not that I can't change it, of course, but, you know, the moment I set an expectation for a conversation, a relationship, a, you know, an event, whatever it may be, then uh, I'm setting myself up for resentment because I know that wasn't what I wanted. And yeah, so I think that's a, that's a powerful phrase. And I've always remembered that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, way to go, dad. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, you know, I, I can, I can do a bit of dad dancing, but uh, when I see people who can dance, I just think, oh, I wish that I had the confidence, fluid, fluidity, uh, skill, you know, to do that and, and to carry it off. So yeah, definitely. It's interesting how it all works because the most common answer to that question is, I wish I could play an instrument. No matter who they are, people go, I wish I could play an instrument in public in front of an audience. And so you've already done that for much of your career. So the next step is dancing. So that makes sense. What book has been most instrumental in your life? 
let me think. I think probably The Road Less Traveled by mm. Scott Peck. Love it. That would be the one that I would choose. I, I've read that book many times, and it's full of wisdom. It's full of um, heart, uh, and it's it's full of really practical advice as well. So, yes, I would say that one. Top 10 for me, for sure. That's a top 10 book for me. The Road Less Travel led to or the Orkney Islands, by the way, which is uh, the folks who are listening here in America need to <laughs> Google the Orkneys, and uh, you'll be amazed at the terrain of where Julian is speaking to us from today. Last but not least, my friend, what does the good life mean to Julian Treasure? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to be going around the track. At the age of 64, I have an um, 18-month-old baby daughter uh, called Sapphire and an eight-year-old called Holly, and they live here with me and Jane. Um, and I'm very, very lucky to have that in my life you know I, I could be a grandfather easily by now uh, but th this is a lot more fun <laughs> I think <laughs> you know I'm really treasuring uh, no pun intended every moment of these these children's development and uh, every day of them and it's it's a wonderful thing so yeah family definitely for me is the main thing yeah me too I have six children I actually am a grandpa now. I have three grandkids so but it is a good life. And when I think about that, it is a life. And I've seen a little bit of stuff on your wife and she sounds like a treasure also. So well done there. You must have used all your communication skills to be in a relationship with her. She sounds terrific. And you are a treasure. I, I love how you do what you do. I love how you communicate what you communicate. I hope people learn how to present the way you teach, but I also, more importantly, hope they learn to listen the way you teach to listen. The book is How to Be Heard. It's absolutely fabulous. You are a treasure, sir, and I thank you so much for joining us. It's late there. It's early here, but we thank you for joining us today on the It's a Good Life podcast, and we, uh, we hope that everybody who listens to this today is blessed by what you had to share. Thank you so much, Brian. I've had a lovely time. Really nice to meet you. It's been a treat. Well, someone who's been a treasure for me my whole life, she's 92 years of age. She's back there in Dublin, and she's a great listener and a great communicator, and she's going to send us on our way with a little Irish blessing. Here's my mom, Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Mm -hmm.